Welcome to Out of the Arts with Beth and Amy. We will help you bridge the gap between an arts career and a career outside the arts industry. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media at Out of the Arts, linked in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Out of the Arts. So we are going to talk through a fun topic. I think it's fun. I also think it's fun. Where we talk through how our personality type may or may not dictate our job. I remember going to interview with my undergrad before I was accepted. There was a scholarship weekend. I went up and my favorite colors and my favorite color scheme is black, white, and red. If I could live in that color palette for my entire life, I would be totally happy. That was my mom's too. I knew I loved her. (laughs) I remember getting up there, having big curly hair, you know, being dressed up. And everyone said, oh, are you here to audition as a performer? And I kept looking at them saying, no. No, I'm a, no. I'm a nerdy person. I'm not a performer person. Please don't put me on stage. (laughs) And I think I spent the entire weekend telling people that. I know I'm loud. I'm real good at being loud. But that doesn't mean I want to be on stage. I never did. It's a really interesting thing to realize that people are going to try and put you in different boxes Mm -hmm. that maybe you don't fit in. Yeah. I mean, as we know, I started out as a performer. uh, But I am the most introverted of introverts and (laughs) um, small talk and things like that. I have no interest in whatsoever. I just want to get to the core of someone and jump into the deep conversation and the real personal connection, typically one-on-one. I don't love groups because there's a lot of energy and it fries my brain, but I do really well in small groups or one-on-ones. When it comes to performing, though, I loved it so much and felt so good doing it that I learned to turn myself on and off, essentially. It's literally like flipping a switch where I become a performer. I am focused. I focus all my energy. I'm on stage. I'm putting it into the music, into the performance. And then as soon as I'm backstage again, sometimes the performance amps up my energy and I, then I can appear to be a little bit more extroverted or excitable. But for the most part, I'm very kind of quiet, even keel, taking a back seat in groups. And when I'm backstage, I flip it off and I'm doing my own little thing back there. There's an assumption, I think, especially with performers, that you're outgoing, that you're bubbly, that you're all of these things. I'm I'm none of those things. <laughs> I'm literally none of those things. But that doesn't mean that I can't channel my energy and be a good performer. It also doesn't mean that I'm shy as an introvert. doesn't mean that I'm shy. I'm not afraid to go out there and do something or talk to someone walk up to someone and ask them questions. It just means that 
takes a lot of mental energy for me and I need to go home at the end of the day and decompress and not talk to anyone for a little while and recharge my battery. And as an extrovert, I do hit that point where I am done talking to people, where I really want to go sit in by myself in my bed with my dogs and talk to nobody. Um, but that is, it is a far trip for me to hit that point. It takes a lot of work and a lot of socializing to get there. Where for Amy, it's not such, it's not a far trip for her. No. <laughs> It's like I go to work and then by my lunch break, I need to take a moment (laughs) and then start the afternoon again. And that's okay. It's this interesting concept of being an introvert versus being an extrovert. And we're going to talk about this on a larger scale, what that means. With just being a performer, you can be an introvert and still be a performer, Several of my students who I taught were introverts. I had one who was shy, but it doesn't mean they weren't a good performer. They just flipped it on and off differently. Mm -hmm. And as an extrovert, I never want to be on stage. I was very comfortable designing and editing music, editing. Now I do some editing podcasts creating content, creating classes. I love doing that. I don't need to be in front of people to feel successful or to feel like I'm I'm making a huge impact. One of the things I heard recently that I loved was the difference in extroverts and introverts is an introvert thinks to speak and an extrovert speaks to think. And I know as an extrovert for myself, I have to say things out loud. I work things out loud in my car all the time. That's one of the harder things for me being in the life of Corona, which isn't, isn't there a book? I'm not going to go down that path right now. You said book. Now my interest is peaked. (laughs) You can't do that to me. The life, a life in the time of. Are you trying to say love in the time of cholera? Oh yeah. That's what I'm thinking. You're welcome. I'm working on. So as an extrovert, you know, I do miss being in my car and being able to talk to myself out loud. I do spend time in the bathroom just talking to myself, just talking through a problem I'm working out or talking through a conversation I need to have. If I talk through it by myself once, then I know I am going to work out a lot of the problems that I haven't hit yet versus if the first time I have a conversation with someone, I'm having it with them. A lot of times I'm not going to be able to connect the dots because I need to say it out loud. That's why as a teacher, I will always tell people to say things out loud, even if it's a bad idea, because I would rather you say it out loud and it be a bad idea. And we say, hmm, that was a bad idea. Do you know that? They're probably going to say, yes, I do realize that. I just had to get it out. Cool. Great. Let's move on. See, that's so funny because there was a time, I think maybe third or fourth grade, I was young, I was in elementary school, and during the parent-teacher conference at the beginning of the year, the teacher was like, Amy is not participating in class, she doesn't really answer when I call on her, she kind of skirts around things, I'm a little worried that she's not understanding. 
And my parents, knowing me, were like, nope, nope, nope. She's definitely understanding. There's a different problem there. And they were absolutely right. The issue was that it wasn't that I didn't understand because I am a very quick learner, always have been. The issue was that I didn't want to participate in the discussion until I had a 100% grasp on everything and all of the the subtopics and everything as well, because I always want to be the expert. Did you have that problem when you were performing? Yes. To an extent that carried into my performing too, especially as a young performer, when I was learning to I was very technical, technically minded and learning to get the heck out of my head and just let the energy out rather than try and manipulate it. It made a huge difference in my singing and my performing when I was able to do that, but it was a lot for me to let it go. That's always, always been the case with me. It's just part of my pathology and that's the introvert in me. That is the thinking to speak. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say anything or do anything until I am 100% sure that I have it right and I'm ready to go. And that takes a lot of planning in my head on my end. I had a really cool student, probably my second year teaching. Thank God it was my second year teaching. If you've ever taught, you know your first year is always the hardest. <laughs> yeah. So it was probably my second or third year. I don't remember what her major was. It was not any kind of performing arts or arts. And we were doing intro to theater. And they have to memorize a monologue. Now, by memorize, I mean they can have the monologue with them, but they're only allowed to look at it three times. It's a rough memorize, but they should be able to fake their way through it. And I had a student who got up and she brought it with her and clung to that piece of paper like it was going to save her. (laughs) And she kept tripping herself up because she felt like the word wasn't quite right or the energy, like everything wasn't quite right. And for someone who's not a major, I was like, why are you so worried about being perfect at this? And ultimately, I took her piece of paper and I told her she had to start again. And if she messed it up totally, then, you know... Sophocles was just going to have to come back to life and be distraught about it because, of course, that's what's going to happen. But really, she had that exact same problem. And once I took that piece of paper away and I told her, it's okay, you're going to make mistakes and I'm going to love you anyways, she did great. I think she got an A on that part. (laughs) But it's so hard to get out of your head if you feel like you need to be in it. Yeah, I can tell you, Dr. Haas is not listening to this, but if you're listening to this, you're going to laugh because the number of times throughout the years we worked together, uh, she was my voice teacher, and the number of times she had to take the music stand away from me because I was living in the music and the book when I didn't need to, I was already memorized but I relied so heavily on it and it was so important to my 
psyche as a performer to make sure that everything hit exactly right all the time. And that she would just walk over and pick up the stand and take it away from me as I was singing. So I had no choice but to let it go. This was a regular occurrence in my lessons. That does not surprise me. <laughs> so, but I think that's all related. There's a, there's a perfectionist thing to that, but I think more than that, it's related to the introvert in me and my unwillingness to get out of my head. Yes. And Which makes sense. All, right. Right. It totally makes sense. Like you, and I'm jealous of that because I can't live in my head. So <laughs> I, I don't have that option. I have to say things out loud. I have to think through it out loud. If there's an audience or not, it does not matter. I just need to verbalize it so I can really work through it well in my head. So I have to be okay with, sometimes I sound dumb. Sometimes I'm that person who asks a question and everyone looks at me like, what did you just say? And why do you think this relates? <laughs> but if I don't ask the question or if I don't say it out loud, I can't work through it. So if I could work through things in my head, I would sound a lot less dumb out loud. But I also had to come to terms with sounding dumb out loud because I can't, I can't process those things internally. I just don't work that way. So I'd rather be effective and helpful. And sometimes I sound dumb. Whatever. 90% but the world of the time, keeps turning. Right. The world keeps turning. Fire me because sometimes I sound dumb. If that's going to make you fire me, fine. Bye. And see, I have the opposite regret where sometimes I wish that I could get out of my head because one, it's super easy to spiral, which doesn't help anyone. And two, sometimes things don't get said that need to be said because I'm waiting for the perfect time or the perfect wording, the perfect moment, whatever it is. And that's not real life. So if you spend all your time waiting for the perfect moment, then nothing ever gets said and nothing ever gets done. So there, it's definitely a double-edged sword. Both types of personalities are. And we can bring this back to how a lot of people will see you as a professional, even if you're not in the performing arts industry. Everyone's going to look at you like you're an actor does not matter if you are playing in an orchestra. It does not matter if you're a designer. It does not matter. People, for the most part, are going to think you're extroverted, you're loud, you are a performer through and through. I happen to be good at being loud and obnoxious. I guess that's a skill, being obnoxious. <laughs> Whatever. Those are my skills. So it doesn't bother me as much when people say, oh, well, you come from theater, so you're good at being in front of a large crowd. Well, I did no performing in my professional life, but sure, if that makes you feel good about the things I'm doing, I will accept and move on. But it can be a challenge to explain to someone who's not from the performing arts life what you do and what you've been doing for your career, especially 
it's hard for people to understand as an introvert, you're a performer. That's just crazy. Mm-hmm. And people assume that when I'm a performer, that that means, like I said earlier, that it means I'm outgoing and, you know, able to jump in and carry a conversation. And sometimes that pressure has gotten me stuck in situations that I do not excel in because there are assumptions made. Right. And separating my personality out from as a performer it was a profession right so separating your personality out from your profession and who you are your interests don't always have to somehow perfectly align with your personality because what you do and how you do things are two different parts of the brain so I can jump out and be a performer or teach or do PR or networking or things like that. I'm perfectly capable of doing those things, particularly because thanks to theater and performing, I learned how to turn myself on and off. But I also have to recognize that that's not actually who I am that I'm flipping a switch and then I have to flip that switch back off and decompress or else you're going to have a very sad, angry Amy on your hands <laughs> if I don't have time to decompress. Yes. And it's not helpful to make anyone feel stressed out or worried or not even worth it. I don't think you'll ever hear from us. And, you know, I've been wrong before. I can be wrong again. I doubt you'll ever hear from us any conversations around the best jobs for an extrovert because that's not a thing maybe to some extent if you are an extrovert and you're outgoing but Amy was saying she's an introvert but she's not shy so those things don't have to line up those things don't have to work together I was just looking up, just for funsies, the best jobs for Myers-Briggs, my type, which I am an ENTJ. I've been this type for a long time. Every time I take this test, this is what I come back with. But some of these jobs, like an accountant, I would not be a good accountant. I don't really want to deal with someone's numbers all day. Not really what I want. A loan officer? Okay, maybe tax examiner or collector or revenue agent. You know, I work in revenue, but not my job at all. An actuary? Do you know how much school someone has to go through to be an actuary? <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's uh, It's more than my master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um... Some of these other things are like advertising sales agent. I don't know who thinks that my type is good for that versus another type. Which is funny because advertising sales agent is the last thing that you would find on the INTJ job list, which is what my Myers-Briggs type is. However, half my career has been sales and advertising. Aerospace engineer. 
Well, that would be interesting. But again, we're doing lots of math. Some of these things are just working by yourself, and half of them are managing teams. There was one for emergency management director. So do you want me to work by myself, or do you want me to work with a huge team? Because Myers-Briggs list here, it's not by Myers-Briggs. Don't go, like, shaming Myers-Briggs for putting out this list. They did not. Um, but this list does not seem very conclusive of what my personality type would really actually need, writer or author. Let me just tell you, my writing skills are not that great. Amy will attest. I will make friends and speak to anybody, but my writing needs a couple edits first. I'm probably not going to do that for a living. So it's important, like, this is just to show you that you can do whatever you want to do based upon the work you want to do, not necessarily based on your last job or based on your personality type. Right. Your personality type should influence how you do things and how you take care of yourself in what you do. So as an INTJ, very introverted person, it doesn't mean that I need to be in a hermit job because even I hit my hermit wall where I get bored of being alone and having no one else around me and I need to go out and be social and make personal connections so it's not about, it shouldn't determine what you do, but it does determine, okay, I need to make sure I have time in my schedule to decompress and be able to read a book and spend time with my dogs and go for a hike. It determines how I take care of myself. It doesn't determine the actual work I do. Yes. Agreed. And I think that a lot of people find that. I have a friend who has a master's in costume design. Shout out to Lindsay. And she is an introvert. She very much is into the analytics of it, into the history, into the research. And I think now she's teaching. I think she's teaching English. Lindsay, if I'm butchering this, just yell at me. <laughs> But she, it's not like, oh, you're in theater, so of course you want to teach theater. Maybe you don't want to teach theater. Maybe you want to teach science. There is somebody I know from undergrad who worked at, I think it was a Shakespeare festival for a couple of years, and then decided to get her teaching license and has been teaching science, which, good for you. You found a path that you want to do that'll help you live the life that you're wanting to live. And so it doesn't necessarily matter. I could not tell you either of their Myers-Briggs. Um, but I can tell you that they were looking for something really different from what they'd been doing. Mm -hmm. And they didn't let that life dictate it for them. Yes. I can tell you. The number of people I went to college with or students that I've had since who have changed careers uh, that went into medical professions, nursing, dental assistants, all of those types of things, 
I mean, I need at least two hands to count. It's not like I can count them all in one. There's tons of them that have gone down a completely different road into biology and science and medicine, all of these things that you wouldn't think are related at all, but they are because it really just comes down to interest. And when when you're going from, say, theater to nursing, there's still a lot of project management, client management, and documentation, and personal connection, and all of these things that we have in the performing arts world that actually translate directly to medical professions. And it really just comes down to interest and how you use those things, but they're the same things and they're with you personally, no matter what profession you're in. Yeah, it's so much about using the skills you have, using your interests, being able to take the work you're doing and the work you've done and using it somewhere else, which I think as performing artists, whether you're performing or behind the scenes, I think we're really good at because we face so many situations where we have to come at it from a different angle. Very few things that we do are textbook or mathematical. I can't say, okay, I'm going to stage manage this show. Here is my timeline. Here is how many days I need for this and how many days I need for this and how many days I need for this. If I have not spoken to my team, if I have not spoken to the lighting designer to find out that they actually want to hang the most booms in this space as I've ever had, if I've not had that conversation, I cannot plan my schedule. So much work that we do is dependent on others and is not static. So it's, it puts us in a really good position to be able to translate things later. Because we have to. We do it all the time at work anyways. Mm-hmm. And understanding personal dynamics is a big part of it too. Because I can be... I can be a shy, quiet, sits in the corner introvert sometimes. And then sometimes I can step up and be a complete leader who shows absolutely no signs of shyness or introversion whatsoever. It depends on who I'm with and the situation I'm in. And understanding that sometimes, depending on what's going on and the context, things change and we're able to make those changes easily and fluidly because we understand our part in it. That's also a huge part of the personality game and finding the right place for you as well. And oftentimes they'll say, if you take a personality test, a personality test, I don't know if I said that right the first time. If you take a personality test, you might get different answers depending on when you take it. Because we grow as people and we change. And we grow and change based upon the situations we're in. Not just as we get older and see things in the world, but also maybe personal dynamics. Mm -hmm. 
you can grow and change on your own. And so maybe one day you're an introvert and one day you're an extrovert. I took the Myers-Briggs test last probably two years ago. And I remember I was just on a border of extrovert and introvert. And it really made me laugh because I'm very extroverted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I didn't realize how much I had been doing internally just because of probably my work. You know, my work very much has a lot of, has a few other extroverts and can get overwhelming. And instead of adding to the overwhelming, which I could easily do, I have decided really to take that step back and, and introvert more, which is not the best way for me to work, but is the best way for that group to work. So it's really interesting if that changes and how that changes, where you end up. Right. I think the most important takeaway from this conversation is pay attention to who you are and how you react in certain situations. Pay attention and be in touch with what you need and understand who you are at the core as a person and let that inform how you do things, but don't let it put you in a box of what you do or what you think you should do. Yes, girl. You can make whatever decision you want to make as long as you're aware of what you need to make it happen. I wonder if that's why in the last, I don't know, five years, there's been this blow up of like self-help of self-identifying. I mean, anyone who's been to a leadership class in the last 15 years, you know that half of the class is, who are you? Self-exploration. What kind of leader are you? Well, I don't know. Or maybe you're very familiar because you've been to 100 leadership classes and you've been forced into it. Whatever. But that would make a lot of sense as to why... That's really blown up because they've found that it's really effective and really helpful. Yes. Understanding that there are different types of people and that people react differently in different situations and different configurations, all of these things. This is starting to come to a hilt now in psychology studies and also people's willingness to accept differences and breaking the mold a little bit more. Well, and I know for me, it's really helpful. The more I think about my strengths, let's just say strengths, my strengths and peculiarities, (laughs) the more I say, okay, I am extroverted, cool. Good to know about myself. Who else is extroverted? But that eventually leads me down the path of how do I deal with introverts? And then what are the pros and cons of the extrovert life? Because, yes, in some ways I just have to say I'm an extrovert and I'm great with it. 
But I know that not everybody is great with extroverts. I know that for some people, I am a little much. And I feel bad for them. But <laughs> this is my life. I laugh because I still joke to this day. I I don't know how we've stayed friends for so long because we're so fundamentally different. (laughs) And and I can become very overwhelmed sometimes, but vice versa too. My introversion can completely confuse and confound you as much as your extroversion can overwhelm me. So it goes both ways. Yes. And it's so good to be able to think through that. And yes, we all start with the, you are this personality type. Here's why you're great. But hopefully that leads you down the path of, here are the things to work on and here are the things that are great about other people. I love looking at the other personality types, whether you're on Myers-Briggs or maybe you've gotten into Enneagrams. And either way, I love looking at the other types and saying oh this is where they're great at this versus I'm great at this because it really does take all kinds Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and we talk about it all the time in our own ventures as we're working together that you know we sort of act as yin and yang to each other as we have the same goal in mind. So we're working together, but we come at things very differently. And sometimes that does cause conflict, but we work through it. But sometimes it's super helpful. The number of times that one of us has said, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Or, oh, I didn't even think of that because we're able to offer different perspectives to each other is so helpful. And that's how we grow and move things forward. And you all know this, if you are coming from a performing arts background, you've had to work with teams, you've had to understand how to collaborate, work with a group, how to take, you know, some people are really good at this. How do you use that to your advantage and not just let it either overwhelm or confuse you? And then how do you use your skills to your best advantage? So it's about using your skills, using those personality traits that are really hardcore ingrained in you to support other people and companies when you're in a work environment. So there's a meme out there, or not even a meme. I think there's a, there's a story that goes along with it historically, but there's a a sign that I see sometimes that says something along the lines of, beware artists, they mix with all types of people or all echelons of society or something along those lines. And the point of it Sounds being like Shakespeare. that, yeah, <laughs> but I think it was, it actually came out of like the red scare and communism in the 20th century. That's even if better. If I'm not mistaken, uh, <laughs> is the historical context of that. And I think I, I love that so much because it's so true that artists and people that come from a performing arts background and a collaborative background are able to see things from so many sides and willing to see things from so many sides and talk to different people. And we really celebrate differences a lot of the time. That's not 
always entirely true, unfortunately. But for the most part, as a profession, I think it's a lot more open and collaborative than many other professions are. And I think it's just important to remember that once upon a time, that scared the communists or the anti-communists technically, um, scared the anti-communists because uh, we're able to relate so well to other people. So revel in each other's differences and don't let yourself get stuck in a box. If you haven't heard the conversation we had with Katie Young, go back and listen to it now. We talk about this a lot where theater actually helped her become an activist because it allows you to show other people's point in the world, show where other people are coming from and how they live. So if you haven't listened to that conversation, go back and listen to it. It is early October, so go listen to that Katie Young interview. Thank you for joining us today on Out of the Arts Podcast. If you have questions or want to see specific content, please leave a comment or email podcast at outofthearts.com. See you next time. And until then, we are rooting for you.